You're listening to Drek FM. This is Steve Sansweet of Rancho Obi-Wan, and you're listening to the 602 Club. There was a little bar in Mill Valley where all the Starfleet trainees used to go. The 602 Club. You know it. <laughs> I was there more times than I can remember. We have to stop Ronin. How? I have a plan. You've got a plan. Yes. First of all, you're copying me from when I said I had a plan. No, I'm not. People say that all the time. It's not that unique of a thing to say. Secondly, I don't even believe you have a plan. I have part of a plan. What percentage of a plan do you have? You don't get to ask questions after the nonsense you pulled on Nowhere. I just saved Quill. We've already established that you destroying the ship that I'm on is not saving me. When did we establish? Like three seconds ago! No, I wasn't listening. I was thinking of something else. Oh. She's right, you don't get an opinion. What percentage? I don't know, 12%. 12%? <laughs> That's a fake laugh. It's real! Totally fake. That is the most real, authentic, hysterical laugh of my entire life because that is not a plan. It's barely a concept. You're taking their side? I am Groot. So what is better than 11%? What the hell does that have to do with anything? Thank you, Groot, thank you. See? Groot's the only one of you who has a clue. Welcome, everybody, to the 602 Club. So excited to be here this week. We are diving into some more Marvel as we get ready for Guardians of the Galaxy 2 this weekend. Uh, I know um, me and my co-host this week are are both excited to see this one. Uh, Dre, it's, it's great to have you back to the show. Hey, thanks. I'm so excited to be here. I love Guardians of the Galaxy, so it's perfect. Well, I mean, you know, uh, who who doesn't love Chris Pratt uh, being basically Chris Pratt? So, you know. <laughs> that's true. I mean, that's, yeah. I don't know how else have to put you, it. <laughs> which, by the way, have you seen his videos on Instagram, the what's my snack? Yes. Videos? Yes, yeah. I have, and they're fantastic. Actually, yes. I don't know if I like that one or the my best friend Jennifer Lawrence pictures, my 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 best friend J-Law, where he like cuts her out of every <laughs> yes. photo. That's also yes. pretty, I can't really decide between the two, but they're both excellent. He's really funny on, on social media. He is. So, he's very I mean, good he at just, it. He's, yeah, he is very good. Uh, and so... We're excited to to be here to talk about that. Uh, quick announcement for everybody. We are doing an incredible iTunes review contest. And our goal is, is to get to 100 iTunes reviews. That's the goal. Um, right now, we have, uh, I think, 59 uh, written reviews, which is great. We're trying to get all the way to 100. And to do that... I'm honestly giving away some really cool swag. Um, we've got, and, and it's all celebrating Guardians of the Galaxy. Uh, so I have some things from the Funko Marvel Collectors box that are all exclusives from that. So you can't get it anywhere else. But uh, what will come to you if you win is a Guardians of the Galaxy scarf. It's, it's pretty cool. Uh, a, a Guardians of the Galaxy star lord funko pop mug a <laughs> yeah a rocket patch that you can put somewhere on like a jacket or backpack uh a groot pin and then a, a special collector core funko box edition of a comic a guardians of the galaxy comic with an ex very exclusive cover that you could only get from this box so all of those things would be coming to you if you win just make sure you get your review in by june 2nd and again really just trying to get to 100 reviews um the 602 club has been doing fantastic this uh i mean gosh the last few months we have really been ramping up the amount of people listening to the show and really want to have more people find the show. So we're having huge months all because y'all are helping us out with this. And I just wanted to reward you for doing what you've already been doing. And so, uh, and to, to maybe encourage you to help get other people to do it too. So you can find that on our Trek FM Facebook at facebook.com slash Trek FM. You can even share it on your Facebook so you can let other people know about it. Uh, and just make sure you go over to Apple podcasts and give us that review on iTunes. That really helps out. Um, like we've mentioned, you can find the show on iTunes uh, as long uh, as well as all the other shows uh, at iTunes.com slash Trek FM. 
Trek FM is a featured provider. We have so many great shows, so make sure you check them all out. You can find us on Twitter, at Trek FM, and uh, we have the listeners-only discussion group, which is the Babel Conference. And, of course, if you're on Facebook, the best way to get there is just type Babel Conference into the search field. Or if you're on the website at Trek.fm, any of our show pages, you can hit Discussion on the menu bar, and that will bring you over there. So, Well, Drea, as uh, we kind of mentioned, uh, well, we were talking before the show, so you guys didn't hear it. Uh, and we were talking in Groot, so you wouldn't understand it anyway. We have kind of a very loose show. We're talking about Guardians of the Galaxy, and I, we have a rough outline, uh, but this is going to be fast and loose, just like our heroes. Uh, and so, uh, just kind of what wanted you, to Hey, start what do you say? What do you say? They're, they're fast we're going to be fun and footloose and fancy free kind of like Kevin and fancy Bacon. free i love it yeah so um which i'm pretty sure that uh you know star ward would be a huge fan of the kevin bacon i feel like he would yeah i, I totally like he would. totally would be uh well i wanted to ask you about this it, this is always interesting to me uh, especially coming into any big franchise film like this um you know marvel had been doing its thing for a long time and and guardians of the galaxy is very different than all their other films. So I kind of wondered, um, as you walked into this one the first time, what were your expectations, if you had any? And did you know anything about the Guardians of the Galaxy? Because they are kind of a more obscure comic than, say, like Captain America or, you know, the Hulk, you know, that not as many people might know about them unless they're more invested in the comic book world. I didn't know... Anything about Guardians of the Galaxy um, as a pre-existing sort of nerd culture um, as in their comic book sense. Um, I feel like the only thing I knew is that they played into the Infinity War in some way. And that's probably the extent I knew. Um, But I am a huge Parks and Rec fan. So I was instantly drawn to it because of Chris Pratt. So, I mean, they have an all-star cast, and it's such an interesting and diverse cast. Like, I don't know that I would have put them all together, but I think they made the right call to put them all together. Um, but I was definitely, the, the draw was that I love Chris Pratt. So, I mean, it was nerdy and Marvel and Chris Pratt. So, I'm on I board. I love Chris Pratt. <laughs> that should just be my, my like, tagline now. Yeah, you know, instead of, what's my snack? It's, <laughs> I love Chris Pratt. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And you should record that for me. It's recorded like, now. I'm going to use that. There you go. Uh, and it could be your ringtone. We could make it your ringtone. <laughs> Anytime my phone goes off with an email, it's going to be... I love Chris Pratt. There we go. Yeah, that's going to be... Oh, man, that... I, I want catchy. this ringtone. Uh, yeah, it might It might be weird coming out of my phone. People are like... Uh, I mean, I get it. Okay. Okay. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I can't really blame you. Um, so, yeah, that's that's... Absolutely where I was, you know, uh, I knew all this Marvel stuff from what we were getting in the movies, and I kind of have a vague familiarity with the Guardians of the Galaxy in the sense that they would have something to do with the Infinity Wars whenever that was going to happen, because I'll be honest, the Marvel films have been kind of dragging out this Thanos thing for a really long time, and these Infinity Stones <laughs> and all this stuff. Like you mean after uh, we move past the inconvenience of Ultron and yeah, I mean it's just like uh, I mean how many years has this been going on? I mean when did Iron Man come out? I mean I, I, I it, it's been a really long time that we've kind of been uh, working on this process for them, and and we're not even there yet. I mean they're only now filming Infinity War. Uh, good friend of mine from the show. Uh, and and from the network, uh, Lee Hutchinson, he lives in Edinburgh, and they're filming the film there, finally. Like, it, it's finally happening. Um, but this is 2008. It's almost 10 years ago. So, uh, that things have been building in this universe. And so, yes, we actually finally get some of that in this movie, and, and that's great. And I think coming out of it, you know, the first time, I was like, that was fun. Like... That was pretty much all I could say is like it was fun. Mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. there, there's um, there aren't a ton of like deeper hidden meanings in this movie or anything like that, and and it's full of goofball whack out of your mind kind of like visuals and everything like that. It moves at a really frenetic pace uh, after that beginning, and so which. I want to ask you about that. So the beginning of the movie starts very differently than you think it would. 
you kind of expect, you know, after you've seen the trailers and Ooga Chaka, Ooga Chaka, you know, like it's all going to be that. But it starts with Peter's mom dying of cancer and us kind of witnessing that experience in his life and then him getting abducted. How does the beginning work for you? Because it kind of sets a, a strange tone for the very beginning of the movie that only fits in at the very end. Um, I think it plays a little bit throughout. Um, definitely not as much as maybe some other origin stories, if you will. Because um, I'd argue this is an origin story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, maybe not your traditional one. And I appreciate that. Um for someone, so for me, humor has always been a coping mechanism. And I know a lot of people who are the same way because you tend to find your own kind. So for me, I didn't have a problem with it because something horrible and traumatic happened to him. And there's probably even more horrible and traumatic that happened to him that we don't even know about. And we get this sort of hilarious outlaw character out of it. To me, the arc is relatable because I can see not wanting to really handle it. He is very, didn't want to talk about it. The scene where he kicks the bucket or the, the like basket bucket thing away from rocket when he takes out the present that his mom gave him that he doesn't open till the end. Um, like all of that, I, I see it play through the character and I can see where the character created without having to spend 20 years with him to find out where he went. Um, I was fine with it. I, I appreciated that the opening was a little more dramatic than the rest of the film, but we didn't have this super heavy-hitting emotional film the entire time. It worked for me. I didn't mind it. Other people I know felt differently, but I didn't mind it. I think it, for me, it works for the most part. It's it's always an interesting thing to come into any film and immediately kind of have something really heavy hit you with the character when you don't know the character yet. You know, so... Coming in, especially if you don't know the comics or anything like that, you don't know what's going to happen in this movie. The strangeness of coming in into a really emotional moment where I think they want you to really connect with the character of Peter uh, and kind of uh, make you feel what he's feeling, it's always a little bit harder to do when it's the first time you've seen them on screen, so you don't really have a connection with them yet. Um, and it is something that slowly kind of builds throughout the movie to the end of the movie of why he is kind of a detached playboy that he tries not to take anything too seriously or let anybody too close, you know. I mean, uh, he's definitely in the same mode as... Um, Tony Stark. Yeah, Tony Stark uh, or a James Bond type kind of thing, you know, forgets the women or even in his ship, you know, kind of guy. Uh, he's a cad. Let's put it that way. Okay, um, that's good. Yeah. I think in terms of the emotional sort of trigger connection, I feel like part of their playing with is that it's a kid, right? And mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. we sort of have, there's that that old stigma that the kids never die in movies, right? Like the Titanic sinking and you never see a kid die, things like that. Like the kids always make it out um, at the great sacrifice of everyone else. And so I think they're playing upon that same sort of drawing emotional that it doesn't matter if you're connected to the, the character yet, this is a kid and you should instantly sort of feel this. Like if you're a parent, you feel that like total empathy that like, they're losing their like that's your parent as a parent that's your worst nightmare to die before your kids like when they're young like that so you know it's just i think they're trying to play on some baseline emotions that don't require you to know the character very much um which is why it probably works for the most part but it is different in that they're not investing you in the character before they put them through some sort of trauma like all the other marvel films for the most part where they you get to know them and then you experience their trauma so Right, or or again, like you mentioned, Tony Stark, where you actually kind of live through the trauma with him, you know, at the in the very first movie of, of having to find a way out of the cave and all that kind of stuff. And learning from Yusuf and all that. Right, yeah. exactly. Yeah, no, no, I think you're absolutely right. Um, it is definitely a narrative shortcut 101 um, to kind of give you a kid, have something horrible happen to him, and then get abducted. Flash forward uh, to the future. Yeah, and then fast forward to the future, yeah. And so we're back to the future uh, with this one. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, <laughs> it's it's an interesting thing because I want to ask you about this too. So um, 
because both of us are are not familiar with uh, really the kind of the world of the Guardians of the Galaxy. There's like a ton of things in this. There's this Zandarian Empire. There's the Kree Empire. There's Thanos. There's uh, Infinity Stones. There's a collector who we kind of met at the end of one of the Thor movies. I mean, there's all of this stuff. And they never really, I don't feel like, kind of explain much of that to you. They just kind of leave you to kind of intuit what's going on. And I found that a little bit frustrating in the movie because, like, what makes the Zandarians good and the Kree bad other than the guy leading these Kree is doing bad things that we would say is, you know, like, I don't know any of the story. I don't know any of these characters. I don't know this planet. Like, I don't, you know, this is just so funny. This is what you and I always end up with when we do these. You really like to be explained these things. And I'm like, I don't care. I'm just living it. This is great. It's just, I just think it's so funny. It always comes back to this. Sorry, go on. (laughs) No, you're right, and and it was just it was one of those things though. But I because I'm, I'm watching the movie, and I've seen it a few times, obviously, and I'm still always surprised at how little they give you to go on on any of this stuff, and 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 honestly, this is where I think when I came out of it the first time, I still feel like this. The movie's fun, but I don't there's no real impact on me beyond the fun, which is not necessarily a bad thing. I'm, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying there's there's no depth. This no is depth kind of like, you. right, it's, it's basically cotton candy sci-fi. So for me, it's different. So while they don't explain those things and I didn't have a context ahead of time, some of those things I do have, we do have some context for. We do get a slight introduction to Thanos at the end of the previous Marvel movie before this comes out. Um, it's the like deleted scene or the end scene, um, what do they call it, the, the bonus scene at the very end. Um, end credit scene. Yeah. yeah, the end credit scene. You do get introduced to Thanos. Um, you have some indication of the Infinity Stones already because we've already seen one through Loki and I think that's the only one we've seen by the time this comes out. Um, we are we are somewhat familiar with Kree in that we've already been exposed to that through Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Well, and I guess the biggest one, if you don't watch Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., which who does? Um, I did. I liked it. I, I gave I, up because it got a little overly dramatic for me. But Yeah, I gave up because I couldn't stomach it. Anyway, that's a whole other subject. But th- um, that is part of the universe, and they do use that to introduce Kree. Right, but I was going to say... Uh, we actually see them in in uh, they're not really necessarily uh, featured f- featured in a way that like oh this is the Cree um, but I mean it's somewhere mentioned I think but in the original Avengers film that's mm-hmm. the Cree that come and attack us if I'm if I'm wrong please correct me but I think that's who that is uh, I don't think that's who that is it, you don't think that who's mm-hmm. I thought that I was that same that dude it doesn't say it's so the per- okay so when we're talking about the scene where oh my god ronin whoa like name totally left my mind if lee ta- pace <laughs> aka that's Thrandral. what i was thinking yeah if if we're talking about the scene where ronin goes to visit thanos mm-hmm. and they're talking about like i'll blave the starways in your blood <laughs> first of all uh, <laughs> that is he's not that sounds the, painful he's the painful, only creep. I, mean. I know right that that's the only Cree. He's the only one. So the Cree are the blue scri- skinned race, and the right. others are another race that are the ones who invaded in the first Avengers. Mm-hmm. And the reference to the first Avengers is that 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 head floating nowhere. That's one of the severed heads from that whole battle. So mm-hmm. at, at least that's my understanding. I could totally be wrong. But we don't have a great in-depth introduction to the Kree yet, even if you include the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Yep. But... Yeah, yeah you're absolutely right. I, I'm looking it up right now because I'm an idiot because I didn't know. Not. And it's not the Kree. It's some other race. It's something similar in name, though. It starts with a C or a K yeah, or something. Yeah, it does. Uh, and I don't even know how to say it. So I'm, gonna, <laughs> okay. I'm not going to... Everybody's yelling at their <laughs> Everyone's podcasting. screaming that they They're know like, the answer You're right such now. an idiot. How could you call yourself a geek? I'm sorry. <laughs> Just tweet me angry tweets about how dumb I am. <laughs> Um, uh, but still give us nice reviews. 
Um, <laughs> tell us, how, no, you're tell right. us what you want us to so know. So basically <laughs> what we're saying is we don't know who these Kree are really because right, nobody watched Agents of <laughs> S.H.I.E.L.D. So it's like they came into this movie and they're like, what? I don't understand who all of these characters are and why I care. I did. I was familiar with the race though. Like I, okay. not, not a lot. I'd yes. heard it before. It wasn't like they made something up afterwards i'm i'm a big i'll watch it and then later i'll go look up like what the actual comic storyline is and who's involved where it's like to me there were two sort of warring factors the kree and the zendarians and they came to a compromise but because of injustices done by one side or the other um you have this fanatic who feels like he has been wronged and needs to fix it and um, it almost comes off as like a religious fanatic in this sense, and that Kree is not just his culture, but his religion as well. Um, just based on the ceremony at the beginning and the the throwing yeah, of pretty, the... it's uh, pretty awful ceremony at the beginning. Yeah, like throwing of the dirt on him and then the painting on the face and the like ceremonial the murdering of the guy. And yeah. yeah. All of that. It has this it, very like... It felt very like Mayan, creepy, like, space Yeah, Mayans. like culty. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so... For me, that's what I have here. And it doesn't, for me, it's not Cree versus Indarian. It's just this one person feels wronged and wants to take out this entire other right, right. culture. So for me, that's kind of how I took that overarching storyline. And it didn't really matter to me if one side was right or the other. You have one who's trying to literally commit genocide. So to me, right, you automatically right. are kind of at a disadvantage when you think that's the solution to your problem. Yes. Yes. Well, and and I I think you're absolutely right. Like all of that makes sense in the movie. Um I think the 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 thing is and they try it a little bit but like I don't care about the Zandarians. Like I don't know who they are and I just don't care because they're I don't know any of the characters. Like I don't know the world, you know, it um it's kind of the matter? thing does it matter? Well, like, uh, I didn't I, know any I, Jewish people in the Holocaust. Like, and I still true. cared. No. Or I well, care now. I mean, right, it, like, obviously, obviously wasn't my, born back then. My point is, though, in a story, the whole point is to be able to, like, feel for whatever it is that's happening. And I get that it's bad and everything. It, I'm not some jerk or whatever thinks genocide is good. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. I did not mean to implicate that at all. No. Uh, <laughs> No, I'm just letting people know if they're listening and they've never listened <laughs> just before. Just to I'm clarify. Like, Who the heck is this guy? Like, he doesn't <laughs> care about genocide of the Zandarians. That they're fake. It's a fake story. <laughs> um, so I, I kind of want to be able to have something in the story that I'm invested in, that I care about, so that I'm worried about what's happening other than it just being like a story where I know everything's going to turn out okay and there's no narrative tension. You see what I'm saying? That's what I'm talking about is the story structure. There's no narrative tension whatsoever in the story because I know the Guardians of the Galaxy are going to win. You know, I, 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 I know that most of the people aren't going to die on Xandar even though they destroy a good bit of the city, which I was like, yay, Marvel finally being okay with actually destroying things. It's okay when bad things happen. That's the whole point, you know. The more bad things you see happen, the more I want the the bad guys to, you know, lose, you know. Um, and it gives me those stakes, right? Like he's going to destroy all of these people. And so I think that's just what I'm saying is... um. That's the problem with this film is it keeps it so surfacey that and it doesn't give me enough to care about any of the people they're fighting for narratively in the structure of the story. So all I'm kind of enjoying is the funny quips and back and forth and all that stuff where it just keeps it on a very surfacey level instead of like bringing some depth as to where, say, like Captain America Winter Soldier, where I know Cap, I spent time with him. I also know S.H.I.E.L.D. now for the movies and I see the way it's been corrupted and the way they're trying to murder all of us humans that they don't like, you know, like that gets me invested because like any one of us humans, you know, like they find a way to make that mean something more than just fun and i'm not trashing fun don't get me wrong because i'm not going to give this movie a bad all i'm rating. hearing from this conversation is that you don't like fun i totally love fun 
Totally love it. Um, it's so, great. It's the best. It's huge. I love fun. I, I'm the I'm the king of fun. Okay. I just I'm the I'm the most fun you could ever have is fun. Um, you're not making your argument any stronger. No, I'm not. I'm not. Um, but you, me, does that does it at least like make sense what I'm saying? Yeah. But for okay. me, the main part of the story was not about like for me the point of this story was not about saving. Xandar. To me, the point of this story was about four or five, I guess it's five, five very disparate characters having to overcome things and relate to each other in order to do something good. Right. So for to, to me, that tension was more between the interpersonal relationships that they had and less about whether they were going to save Xandar or not. Right. Because like you said, that was right. going to happen. Um, yes. You're absolutely so right. So for me, like right. shifting my focus to the that is the thing I'm not sure how it's going to look and what's going to happen. And I'm kind of hesitant on who's going to stay apart and who's going to break away and do their own little civil war type thing. Like that is maybe more, <laughs> maybe yeah. more where, like my tensions lie and what like I felt was the main it was an origin story so mm. I'm more worried about the origin story of this group and less about yes. what this group ultimately does and to me like saving Xandar was just it was showing me the outcome and I just didn't know mm -hmm. how it was going to happen well and you're absolutely right because that is a thing that Marvel does uh and it's why you don't really care about this villain because they don't give you a reason to care. He's just super bad, right? There's, I mean, let's just be honest. We don't even really have to talk about Lee Pace is the bad guy because all he's given to do is to shout at things and <laughs> kill people and try to kill people. Like, he's, there's no nuance to it. There, I mean, it's just, he's the black hat in the story. You know, he's the bad guy, pure and simple. And um, they have that very, like, they they do this a lot, and I think they started to get away from it a little bit more as we're getting into some of the more intense storylines like Civil War. Um, at least up until this point, there's a very clear good versus evil. Like, it, yeah. he, there's no well, good yeah. part that they create to Ronan. He is just an evil, evil yes, man. Yes, yes, And, like, there's no redeeming factor at all. And then the Guardians are trying to save the world. And while they're maybe not the best people or the purest people, or it's almost the anti-hero, if you will. Yeah, they're the guardians of the galaxy, B. <laughs> right. Was, like that yeah. is that is very <laughs> clearly their role. Like yes. you just have a very clear dichotomy of of black and white. And you we start to move away from that as we progress into the series and mm -hmm. they can play a little bit more with those lines and blur them. But right now this is one of those it's like it's a good guy and a bad guy, and that's it. Yes. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. Well, and, and I think it's kind of a good time to like uh, jump into some of the characters, especially our guardians, and and because they're really the main focus of the story. And I will say this: I like all of these characters for the most part. They're really fun, and and again, this is where I like the fun. All of them play the characters so well. There's only one that I kind of really don't buy. We'll talk about that in a minute. But I'm I think that it's the same one. For me, the, I me too. Yeah. Um. Again, every character here is is super ridiculously fun, and I will have to say, you know, we're doing kind of the origin story, and all of the origin stories for all of these characters is, forgive me for saying, but super cliche. It's not <laughs> like there's any surprises here, right? Yeah. Um. And but what helps that be overcome? for the most part, is all of the actors to which they got to play these parts. And, I mean, Chris Pratt sells that frat boy, bad boy, but I kind of have a heart of gold somewhere in me. I wish I was Han Solo thing perfectly. I mean, he is the very definition of that character. Like He gets me when he dances. Yeah, well, I mean, he gets everybody when he dances. <laughs> um, especially when he takes off his shirt, too. Oh, God. Hmm. Ooh. Ooh. Anyway, <laughs> Matt, I'm just saying, we, need, we need to have a talk here. We need to have a talk. Um, my wife's cool with it. She understands. She likes Chris Pratt. He's too, on your so. card. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He's on my card. Uh, weird that he's on both of our cards, my wife and I. Anyway, no, uh, different story. Not at all. So, you, you know what I'm saying, though? Like, he is the centerpiece of this movie, and I think it's his charisma that covers a multitude of story sins because you kind of get lost in the Chris Prattness. Whenever I watch this movie, and I've seen it probably a dozen times over the last like three years now, um, 
the opening scene where he dances and he sings into the lizard and he just sort of jets it around the island looking for the orb. It is probably still one of my favorite moments the of the entire movie. I just it always makes me smile and I always sort of want to like jig along with him while he's dancing through the like like it's someone who can make fun out of something that's so like empty and desolate. It just it just makes my day every mm-hmm. time. I just want to watch the I opening mean, scene over and over again. I just want to come and get his love, come and get his love, come and get his love now. You know what I'm saying? Like you just yeah. You just want to join totally. him. You just want to be there and dance with him. It's oh, it, exactly. And it sets um, I think that sets that tone for the rep outside of that initial little kid experience as a trauma thing. Like I think that sets the mood for what you can expect throughout the like at least of him throughout the rest of this well and and i mean if there's a story writing book you know uh with uh, character arcs he's the scoundrel with the heart of gold aka han solo uh, or or he he also has those um he also has got some of the mannerisms and the um the wooing powers he's got the mannerisms and the wooing powers of like captain kirk Oh yeah, yeah, he does. He's got the yeah, you're right. He's got the moxie, you know. Yes, he's got there you the, go. Perfect. Yeah. He's he's got the Betty Davis eyes, you know what yes, I'm saying? Like he does. the come hither eyes that all the ladies seem to fall for. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, make me roll my eyes right. and gag. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Whatever. You totally fell for Chris Pratt. I fell for him dancing, not giving me the googly eyes. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Ugh, so lame. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But no, I mean, again, he is the star of the film. Mm-hmm. And he's absolutely hilarious in in the role. I think he again they picked the right person for this because uh, they had some other people in mind. Actually, Lee Pace uh, tried to get this role. Uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt and a few others out there uh, they thought about going with. But I I think when I think of everybody else there, Chris Pratt is just the right choice. Uh, and you know he definitely works that. Guardians of the Galaxy diet to his best of his ability and turn himself into a hunk of hunk of burning love. He has a really interesting um, casting story. Um, hit the director's son, wife, family member of some sort was also a huge Parks and Rex fan um, and mm-hmm. really loved Chris Pratt as Andy Dwyer. And was like, you have to, you have to bring him in for an interview because he'd already, you know, expressed interest or whatever. And they're like, you have to bring him in and l- at least let him try. And the director was like, absolutely not. The giant do- doofus, like this big goofball on the show, like absolutely is not my Star Lord. There's not even a shot in hell. Like, like that, that is not gonna happen. And then he walks in, and like five minutes later, he's like, oh my god, this is Star Lord. <laughs> like there was no doubt. They were like, if you don't want to lose the weight, we're photo, we'll, we'll CGI you, like whatever to make this happen. <laughs> we'll CGI you. <laughs> like whatever we need to make this happen, we'll make it happen That's because friendly. you have to be, you have to be Peter Quill. Um, and so I thought it was just so interesting because he was so, st- I mean, it took a while. He was so staunchly mm. against even considering him. And then he walked in and read like five minutes, and they're like, this is it. This is him. I'm like, yeah. I'm so glad you're willing I to admit when I mean, you're wrong. He's, he's such a charismatic person. I can totally understand how you would be won over by him. And then, of course, he wins the audience over in the movie. And mm-hmm. so, uh, yeah, it, he's the thing that really brings this all together. I want to ask you, uh, what do you think about Zoe Saldana as Gamora? Uh... Ooh, is this where we totally agree? I feel like it doesn't have to do with her, but it has to do with the character. Like, I, I against all the other characters, she doesn't stand out as much as the rest of them do. And I, her and Nebula is the other one I'm not. To mm-hmm. me, Nebula is too like over the top. Um, yes, and absolutely. I don't. I feel like. Maybe having more familiarity with the actual comic book character would help. Maybe be a little more open to that. But she's got one real standout scene, and it's when she's sharing about oh, her parents we dying. Say standout because that falls so flat. Like she has right. no emotion. Like she gives you nothing in that scene. Like she's telling you this horrible story, and you're like. But there's nothing about her that's showing any kind of like fear or remorse or like I put that all on Zoe that she plays that scene really badly. 
So for me, the standout part of that scene is when she gets angry at the end. When she's like, no, I will not fall temptress to your pelvic sorcery. Like the part where she kind of exclaims at the end, Mm -hmm. not necessarily what she says, but that's like kind of the most burst of emotion we get from her. That I think is her standout moment is the like, I think if she had played it more like that a lot of the time, almost like super angry about everything all the time, hardened by the life she had versus like, she's just too quiet and shut down to stand out among the other characters. And I think they're trying to make her like the, the quiet, like, I don't know, like uh, you want to know more about her mysterious one, but you have Groot who doesn't even talk and that's already there. <laughs> like, And he already has more personality she does yeah personality absolutely three words yes so i think you either you needed to make her more extreme one way or the other she either literally needed to say nothing ever or she needed to be angry all the time and she didn't do either and everything just fell flat for me she just needs to emote in general yeah she makes a better ohara than she does a gamora Yes, and part of that is just because she has some character. Like, she brings something to the role. Here, I just felt like you're absolutely right. It falls completely flat because there's nothing to grab onto. She doesn't give you anything to hold on to as her character. You kind of don't even understand her character motivations, really, because, again, she's telling that story, and you're like, you're not selling this to me, honey. I you're saying words but it's kind of like you're saying words but you're not backing it up with the emotion of where a character who's kind of been through this should come to and if you're playing even the shut down character who's telling the story like I'm not getting that either I'm just not getting anything it's kind of like I'm watching a cardboard cutout that somebody's miming words to you're getting out emoted by Chris Pratt who's not even saying anything like yeah exactly there's just no charisma there on screen. And I don't honestly feel any chemistry between those two. Uh, Chris Pratt tries to sell me that there's chemistry, but there's there's no fire there. I mean, I got more out of him and the floozy on a ship that was, you know, the red girl than I did between Zeldana and him. I well, just... it's because it's all one-sided. He stands up for her in the prison you know, he wants to split the take with her. He follows her lead when she says that, you know, she wants to turn in the Nova Corps. Like, he's definitely following, like, she. he's definitely the one showing the, the emotion and stuff. He's the one who mm-hmm. saves her when she, like, all of that is on him. They're all decisions he's made, and they're all coming from his perspective, which isn't a, a bad thing and it doesn't have to be, but for that chemistry to really get created, you usually need it to kind of come both ways. Mm-hmm. You need a little bit of give and a little bit of take. Um, yeah, it did. It, it fell flat. I, I, it was one of those things I really hate about when they create female characters that just seem to be in furtherance of the male's storyline. Like she was definitely just a love interest for this. And I am never really a big fan of that for the female to really only be there to facilitate a love story. Like, have her there and have a purpose, but there's nothing wrong with an additional love story, but, like, that was her only role was to play a love interest. Like, the only right. thing she did. And the problem is, is that if Zeldana plays it better, it doesn't come off like that. Right. You know, it doesn't just come off as that she is the person there to help the male character get better. And it She's not come off that way at all. Right, it she doesn't, and she doesn't even come off of like as a manic pixie dream girl, which those are fun at least and have character. She just kind of comes off as this almost more of an idea that Chris She's Pratt's there. character has. That I don't know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Anyway, I, I'd be curious to see if how she shows up in the second one mm-hmm. and how what she brings to the table. It's different now that because before she was a love interest and an insight to Ronan, right? Now Thanos knows that she's turned on him, so she doesn't really have an advantage there. Like, I don't really know what she's going to be able to bring to the table beyond genetic modifications that nobody else can really bring to the table. Um, mm-hmm. So she's either got to show up as the, the like, wicked fighter with Dave Bautista's character, and really those two have to be our fighters, and they have to work together, and that's the role she's going to bring. Or I don't know. I just... Or she just is kind of still the love interest. Or she's just still kind of there. Right. Yeah. So 
I, I'm curious. I feel like she has to play a more significant role in the comics than she did in the film, or she played very little role in the comics, which is why they struggled to translate her into the movie. Um, but I wasn't a big fan of her, which is disappointing for me because I always want to pull for the female character. I'm like, yeah, womankind. Well, no, I always well, want to pull for them. But well, in mean, this one, she definitely let me down. Look back at Avengers, you know, for me, the Black Widow character is a standout. And yeah. that's part of the, the reason is because she's written cleverly and mm-hmm. she's played by Scarlett Johansson, who brings a lot to that role, I think, and just makes the most of every moment she has on the screen. I mean, it's that act- scene in Avengers where she uh, is talking to Coulson and he's calling her in and she's interrogating the people who think they're interrogating her. Yeah. And she's like, hold on. And she like puts the phone and she starts kicking their butts. It's just like, that's one of the best scenes in the entire movie. And it's just her being a complete badass, right? Yeah. And so it, it yeah. I kind of wonder, I kind of wonder thinking about the Black Widow comparison, I kind of wonder if that inspiration was taken to Gamora's character. Like she has that sort of like tortured past, kind of a lone wolf, sort of, like disillusioned, quiet, like, you know what I mean? She's got some similarities in character there that I'm wondering if either written wise or directed wise or just character inspiration wise, there was a little bit of that there that didn't quite work out because they didn't quite identify what it is that we really relate to Black Widow Mm -hmm. about. But I can see if, if you didn't have quite such a strong Black Widow that it would possibly Mm -hmm. turn out the same way that this Gamora character has turned out. So I'll be interested to see how that translates if she was able if she's able to kind of bring it back or if we're able to give her a new purpose and new drive or in the time gap between one and two which i don't know what it is but there's there's bound to be some sort of Mm -hmm. time gap um there's some sort of like character awakening or something well and honestly right now the thing that i come to the most is just that she was miscast like that they cast the wrong person uh to play this role but we'll see and i think you're right Part two, volume two, could be better. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, one of the per- people that was was great to see in the movie, and I just have so much fun every time I watch it, and my wife loves him, it's Dave Bautista as Drax, you know, and he's like, nothing would go over my head. My reflexes are too fast. I would, I would catch, catch it. it. It's like he can play that so well. Uh, the the straight-faced straight man who takes everything literally it's hysterical and he does such a good job in it and a really just uh, you know i didn't expect you know kind of going into the the movie for him to be any kind of standout but oh it's fantastic I, he's he's really funny apparently with the this rest is of the his, movie. his first real acting debut um and he was really excited so he put a ton of work into his character development and his prep for this like he went full monty in it and it just shows you when someone is truly dedicated and passionate about what they do the amazing things that can come out of it like he mm. did an incredible yeah. job and i think it was a perfect cast and he does he he is that he's got the cliche in that you killed my wife and daughter you know that's yeah. not a new story for anybody um but I, I do. And I, I like because he's so serious and literal, he always insults Rocket by calling him some vermin or rodent. Or rodent. he calls he calls Gabora a green whore. And yeah. she's like, what? And then somebody else insults her and he shoots them. Is like, nobody talks to my friend like that. And it's like, right. Did and you he's not just realize literal. what he just like, said? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, one, I don't know why we had to throw a whore in there. There's been no whorish implications in any of this. Um but I mean, yeah, like I, I, he's just such a he's such a fun character. Um, it's fun to have. It's always fun to have someone that's over the top like that, but isn't caricatured. Like he wasn't comical. He was funny. Like it was just enough. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The the thing to me that that I think makes this is honestly Groot and Rocket. You know, the two CGI characters, and they do such a great job with them. And I mean, gosh, Bradley Cooper is just absolutely perfect as rocket i mean bradley cooper's perfect in general Uh, you know but the way that he brings this character to life and like this is the sad part rocket has i feel more for him 
than you do any for waking moment <laughs> than I ever do Gamora. And it's because of the way that they animate the character, but also the way, you know, when Rocket tells his story about being created and he doesn't even know why he was created or any of these things, like it's moving. Like they do such a good job. And part of that is Bradley just bringing it acting wise and then putting that on screen in the animation. Uh, well, it's, Fantastic. It's also different, right? Like he's having a f- an emotional outburst as it's happening versus Gamora, who's like, let me tell you a super sad story under the moonlight, you know, on this balcony that reminds me a little bit of Star Wars episode two. Like, let, let me let me actually have a genuine reaction to something that's happening and have this outburst that teaches you so much about me. Like, it's so different. It's more like if someone was insulting Gamora for being a son of Thanos and the, or a daughter of Thanos, and then all of a sudden she just lets loose her actual story. Like, that's a much different and more impactful reaction than here, let me have no reason to be telling you this, but I'm going to tell it to you anyway. Um, but yeah, that scene where he just screams that he didn't ask to get made. I mean, I think every angsty person, every person out there who was ever an angsty teenager can sort of relate to that. I didn't ask for this sort of feeling, so... It really strikes a nerve. Well, and then, I mean, just him with Groot and their whole relationship of, you know, (laughs) him being the guy who doesn't want anybody to know he cares about anything. You know, it just, it all, again, every single part of this film is a cliche, but the way that the characters specifically, you know, like Bradley Cooper or, you know, Vin Diesel is Groot, which is so funny that all he has is three words, uh, but the emotion he's able to give, I am Groot. And and we are and then Groot. we are yeah, Groot. you're we. right yeah that's true excuse me he learned a new word um <laughs> and you know chris pratt dave patisa all of them do do this really great job of bringing you in and transcending big time i mean they they bring this material up so far so it it doesn't make you think of, it's the same way and i think that, you know, anybody who makes fun of, like, Mark Hamill and Carrie Fisher and Harrison Ford in the original Star Wars or Star Wars in general, all of those characters take the material and they just bring it to a whole other level because of what they do as, as actors. And I think that this movie uh, does the same thing because, really, it's it's Star Wars cliches and, uh, you know, um, story art cliches and all, uh, out the wazoo, but... I'm I don't having care because so it's so much fun. Yeah, exactly. You're having so much fun with the characters that it really takes it to another level. So, um, well, and I'm constantly, su- I'm constantly surprised and pleasantly proud is not really the word to put, but I'm always very, I, I'm, I have a lot of admiration for Bradley Cooper in that I have seen him in everything from Alias to one of those love stories where he's a jerk and gets dumped. Oh, wedding crashers and he gets jumped, you know, dumped at the end. Like he has a huge range. And even this character is so uniquely identified and I don't go, "Oh, that's Bradley Cooper from whatever." Like all of his characters have such unique personalities and he create he brings them to life without like you know it's Bradley Cooper, but not in one of those ways you're like, "Oh, that's Bradley Cooper." Like Oh, that's Samuel L. Jackson's voice. Like, you know, you're not, right. you're not like that with this. You know, he he even changes vernacular of sorts at times. Um, when he talks to things, he'll say like these guises and stuff like that, you know, like totally different. And you're like, that's not right, but it works for this character. Mm-hmm. Right. No, absolutely. And let's put it in this term. In the way that Chris Pratt kind of plays similar character in many of his movies, you're absolutely right. You know, Bradley Cooper does something like this. He's done Alias. He's done like Silver Linings Playbook. I mean, you know, the guy has has done so many different things, and in each one, he kind of makes it its own thing, and and that takes a lot of work. And especially when you're doing a CGI character, you really want that because you don't necessarily want to be thinking, "Oh, that's Bradley Cooper." You know, in the same way, you don't think, "Oh, that's Vin Diesel as Groot." Part of that's because he only has four Ooh, words. Phrase, <laughs> uh, but. The other part is that he, whatever they do with the animation and everything else is just working in concert together to make something yes. cool. The animation's amazing. You, 
you know it's CGI, but it's not one of those where you feel like it's CGI. You don't feel like they're mm-hmm. interacting. Like I never had the thing to be like, I wonder what they're interacting with on set. Like right. it just has yeah. to. It's just what that is. That's what they're interacting yeah. with. Like that's what they do. Well, and the great thing is these days, if you're doing motion capture too and all, you can put the characters there on screen in the suit, and then they paint them out anyway. So I mean, the characters can actually be there. It's yeah. it's, it's awesome what they do. And um, it makes it know, so natural. Yes, exactly. The one thing that I did enjoy about the movie uh in sense of there being a tiny bit something deep was the whole idea of these people taking responsibility for the universe uh and they have the whole scene where there's you know now we're all standing like a bunch of a-holes yeah (laughs) um exactly you have what percent of a plan that's that's a good yeah that's not even a concept. I like um, how Groot's like, it's more than 11. <laughs> what does that have to do with anything? Yeah. Oh, so good. Um, but it's, it is it is an interesting thing. This movie is, is kind of one of those things where it's a group of characters who have spent their lives running and not taking anything on themselves other than barely the responsibility for themselves, right? Uh, and now they're taking barely. on the responsibility responsibility of saving the universe and why because we live in it it matters because we're here and what happens here matters here because there's nowhere else to go and i just i i did i liked that that was a part of the film and i think that's a great message because you know too many times we just pass the buck to somebody else and we need to be responsible for what's around us you know we live in the world and what we do in the world matters so um i i liked that they put that in the film and yes it's all very funny in the conversation they're having but it is a serious thing and i think it's it's a good message um you know for anyone from kid to adult well and on top of that it also shows how important it is to sort of build your tribe, right? Like my family, our families are gone. Some of us never had a family. You know, the thing they all bond on is that they don't have anybody else and they never really have had anybody else. And it just shows that while you might be afraid to do something alone, it, it there's always to find the people who will support you and be there with you and do that with you. Like we're all standing up now, bunch of, Holes, We're like, all in this together. Yeah, I mean, it's true. You know, they, they, it's the power of peer pressure for the positive, right? Like, let's, let's, I'm willing to sacrifice. Are you willing to sacrifice? Let's just do it all together, you know? And then at least we're, we're doing what's right and we're doing it together. And I think that just adds to that powerful message of, you know, don't just look past it, but, find those people who won't look past it with you and then that becomes your family and that Mm -hmm. becomes who you spend time with and who you want to sacrifice with. Well, and life is not meant to be a lone ranger sport. We're we're meant to go through life with others and life is meant to be lived for others. That's where the best life happens when we're willing to lay down our life for somebody else because – they matter just as much as we do, you know, and and putting value on other people. And, and I think that was a nice thing that all of them find that in themselves to be able to do, to not just think about themselves anymore, but to think about the greater whole, to think about um, this group of people and then the galaxy, you know, like it, it kind of is that thing where it starts small and it grows and it makes into something bigger. And so I really... It starts with them threatening you with a, yes. ha- a hadron um, enforcer to have five seconds to turn over your friends, and then moves on to your friends deciding to save the world. I mean, that's just how mm-hmm. every day. Like that's yeah, just every absolutely. Day. That's just how it works. The um, other thing we didn't talk about is the power of networking, because him being able to call the Nova Prime officer and leave his "Oh, he got my dick" message uh, was a yeah. key <laughs> vital part in this in this storyline was to be able to reach he out got my dick message like <laughs> oh my gosh um, only chris pratt could make that sound semi-normal <laughs> well and then john c Riley did a great job too delivering it where he's like he says he's 
he may be an a-hole, but he's not, and I quote, a hundred percent dick. <laughs> exactly. And then she's like, well, do you believe him? He goes, well, ma'am, I don't really believe that anyone can be 100% a dick. And you're like, that's <laughs> yeah. the point. <laughs> and like he says that best, all with a straight face. If it's one of the best, like, comedic interchanges especially that doesn't involve chris pratt but it does involve chris pratt because you can just hear him saying that in a voicemail <laughs> like it's and it's hear him say it with glenn close was just hilarious like it was mm-hmm. so hilarious yeah who's absolutely wasted in this movie because oh, she doesn't do anything i guess she maybe she'll have more to do in, yeah uh in in part two but no you're absolutely right it, it it also has something to say in this whole idea of responsibility that reputation matters you know and and so what we do what we say how we say it how we treat other people has an effect on other people and whether or not they're going to listen to us or respect us or trust us and and that's that is kind of huge i mean and it's the power of influence he yeah, yeah. he was able to use his influence and his charisma to convince a high ranking member of the nova corps that he was a good enough guy that while, well, yeah, he did small petty theft and stuff like that's kind of where that ended and that his intentions were actually pretty good. The point about we'd have no reason to come back, I think was incredibly moving and valid. Right. Like they have no reason to come back. They know they're going to die or go to jail if this happens. So I mean, he's only them? like 45% a dick. <laughs> so <laughs> uh only, yeah. only well and he's only uh, however much percent you know Terran. so exactly that's exactly. the only part of it maybe the other parts the dick part uh. <laughs> um so i guess the last part uh that i'd love to touch on before we rate this is every once in a while still kind of have a problem with the dance off it's just a little bit too cheesy for me oh, it's, it's just like, my like favorite part are you kidding me it's hilarious i i i like the way that they use it um but it's just i remember seeing it for the first time i was like Ooh, it's almost <laughs> a jump in the shark moment but you pull it off in the end um yeah i think it was a fine line to walk i it's agree definitely a, a fine line to dance <laughs> it was um at first i think on your first watch when you first start to see that scene you're like what is happening <laughs> it's like, exactly I... what you think and that is the point right because he's like i'm trying to distract you like oh i got it like then it make i think because it comes together so nicely there's a reason for it and it's not just like him trying to be goofy like there's it actually does something right i think it works for me on that part um there's a there's a, a bonus scene where um he starts doing the dance off and lee pace starts dancing with him and he's yeah, like i bet that's awesome <laughs> and it's really funny but um but i actually think that if i mean i expect nothing less if i'm peter quill and i need to distract somebody like how else how else do you do it i got wicked dance moves why not um and even gamora is like i don't i don't I don't know what's happening. Like that's probably one of the other parts where she maybe has pelvic sorcery. Like has a little bit of, of, um, of emoting there is when she looks at him and she's like, like eyes wide, like, no, I'm not doing this. (laughs) That's another moment where you're like, okay, that was pretty good. Um, but these are both two very, very small moments for her. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know, to be honest, I think the lamest part there at the end. And I think maybe besides the I'll bathe your blood weight, the starways in your blood, the other like crazy lame phrase is when he does like take the stone and he's like, we're the guardians of the galaxy, biatch or whatever. Like, I'm I'm twisting my face in torture as I'm saying this. Like, I just, it feels so forced and unnecessary and like, it just, it doesn't sound right. The inflection doesn't feel right. It just, it's one of those where you're like, oh, I'm going to cringe and we're going to move past this um, sort of moments for me. And it, I guess it's all part of like the same scene, but I mean, it, it you didn't need to say it. You really didn't need to say it, but I just, I did not enjoy that part. I definitely always kind of do the like scrunch yeah, my face find and look away. Another way to say it, I think it's, it you was know. too head like nail hitting on the head. Yeah. No, I agree. I agree. And and a lot of this movie, if we're honest, I think hits the nails on the head pretty hard with things, you know. Again, we talked about the idea that there's a lot of cliches in here and the movie is just kind of rife with them. It's it's just the whole 
it's one long cliche that all of the actors for the most part are making it work because they're really funny and stuff and they're they're really good at what selling it right um but when you start to think about it and kind of break it down you're like oh, yeah. and that's why i guess in the end when we come to ratings uh, i'm wondering where you land on uh, the old guardians of the galaxy i guess we call this one volume one since volume two is coming out soon um for me i feel like all of the marvel and dc movies are usually pretty cliche ridden i feel like it's mostly because they're based on comic books which are riddled with cliches and we want to remain somewhat true and organic to their roots um, but kind of update them and only sort of tweak with them when you have to it's sort of that well do we honor what they have been or do we sort of update them for modern times um so i feel like for me all of these movies i sort of put into that category so I think, I think for Guardians, I've rewatched. I've obviously rewatched it a ton of times. The opening credit scene still makes me smile, and Chris Pratt still makes me laugh every time. Um, I say I would give it eight out of ten tracks. Nice. Which and and we haven't even mentioned, but I think we've kind of danced around it <laughs> the whole time. The fact that this movie has that incredible soundtrack that they use, oh and it's one of the things that kind of forgives a lot of the sins of the film the, a lot of the cliches because the music kind of just helps you forget all that stuff because you're too busy with all the frenetic energy that's happening on screen and part of that is the soundtrack which is wonderful so i regularly jam out to the soundtrack oh. when i'm having well, like I a mean, long day doesn't? i'm driving home i'm like yeah, yeah come on 70s yeah exactly make me feel good um, Yep, exactly you know this this movie is as i said it is cotton candy sci-fi and it's a cotton candy movie it dissolves in your mouth and then it's done. <laughs> I mean, that's all. I mean, that's all you get. You, and it, there's nothing wrong with that. It's fun, and I've learned to appreciate that fun. But I don't really actually go back and watch this movie very often because I don't really get anything from watching it. And that's just my personality. I like. I'd rather watch a movie if I'm going to watch a comic book movie. I will rewatch Captain America: Winter Soldier a lot because I get a lot from that movie you know like it always makes leaves me thinking and that's just who I am and my personality and if you listen to the show long enough you understand that um same thing for me with you know the Batman v Superman or um Man of Steel I I love that stuff uh even you know uh, yeah uh it's it's fun though and it and you can't take that away from this movie and so it's about you know three and a half out of five percent of plans uh so, uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> so about three and a half percent of the of the five percent plan. So you know, not bad. So seven out of ten tracks. It, yeah, something <laughs> like that. Um, I'm not good at math. Uh, why would I be good? That's at what they math? have calculators for. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so no, this is absolutely fun, and I I am excited. You know, uh, f- I, I, the the second one looks like it'll also be fun. You know, I. It, the moment Rocket was on screen and he was like, we're really going to be able to jack up our prices being two-time Galaxy Savers. You know, to me, that's I, that makes the movie because uh, I love that character and it's fun that they're going to be back. And so hopefully, though, this one will stretch a little bit and try to find not just to write repeat what they do here, but to, to find some way to stretch. And so I think I can't believe we didn't even talk about Baby Groot. Well, Baby Groot, I mean, what is he there was to a say phenomenon other than after that's this pretty happened. awesome. Like, his dancing at the end is also pretty amazing. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's again, it's fun and it's cute. And it's, yeah. you can't take that away. So, um, and that's interesting. Nobody puts Baby Groot in the corner. <laughs> no, they just put him on the dashboard. Exactly. Um, uh, if you've listened to any of the other 602 clubs I've been on or any of our other podcasts that we do together, I am a staunch non trailer watcher. I don't like to watch them. I don't like to know. I feel like they give way too much away for me. Um, I like to go in with a very, very basic understanding of what I'm going to watch and then go from there. Um, So for me, I'm excited, but I know absolutely nothing about it except for that Kurt Russell's in it as well. Um, So, and that a lot of our characters are back. But other than that, I know nothing. So I'm just excited because it, the first one was fun. And for me, that makes the replay. That's what the replay value mm-hmm. is about. I like, if I just want something fun that I don't have to think about and can multitask with, then I'll throw Guardians on, you know? You're uh, you're like 
Colonel Clink from Hogan's Heroes. I know nothing, nothing. <laughs> so, and I like uh, it that way. There you it's go. It's getting harder and harder, though. That to is avoid true because it's trailers. everywhere. It's legitimately and, everywhere. I mean, just side note: um, tonight, uh, as we're recording, The Flash is on, and I've been avoiding the internet basically because. They like to spoil things, and this week is a big reveal week where they're going to let us know who the big bad is, like the secret identity of the big bad this season. So you're avoiding because 10 exactly, minutes after the episode airs, it's going to be everywhere. It, well, and the problem is is that it already aired on the East Coast, so all the articles are already out there. So yeah, I've had to stay away. So um, yeah, it's hard to live in this, this world these days and, and be able to feel like you can really enjoy things, but... We really enjoyed being able to talk about Guardians of the Galaxy this week. We're excited to come back next week to talk about Volume 2. And we really wanted to say thank you so much to everybody for listening. Uh, make sure you go over to iTunes and you can win some sweet Guardians of the Galaxy swag from us. If Give us an iTunes review and we pick your name out of the hat. So thank you so much. Uh, you can find all of our shows, like I said, on iTunes uh, for Trek FM. So make sure you check those out. Really want to say thank you to our associate producers we have here through uh, Patreon. We've got Ken Tripp and Davis Grayson, and they have been supporting the network and this show for a very long time. Now, Patreon is the way in which you as a listener can help make sure that each and every week all of the shows keep coming to you. Go to patreon.com slash trek.fm and you can see the ways in which every month a little bit of support from you goes a very long way in making sure this network comes to be. It's expensive to put all of these shows out that we do each and every week. We have one almost every day for you. And so we need your help. Uh, go to patreon.com slash trek.fm. We have some great perks for you. We've got uh, producer credits, exclusive content. We've got early access to shows when we can. We've also got the Patreon Roundtable, all those things. So again, we love giving back to you in so many different ways. And again, every bit, little bit, just every little bit, uh, it actually does really make a huge difference to us. So go to patreon.com slash trekfm and be part of our team. Drea, it's uh, fantastic being here with you. Um, we recently just finished up the first Harry Potter book on Owlpost, and so uh, people should probably check that out, I think, because that's a fun show. It is. It's a lot of fun to do that one. Um, we're starting the second book this week, so come check it out. Yes, you can find that on Apple Podcasts as well. And uh, where else can they find you if they want to talk to you about some Harry Potter or Guardians of the Galaxy or... To tell me how wrong I am about everything I said tonight? Yeah, exactly. By all means, I will. <laughs> Isn't that it. what the internet's for? <laughs> I take feedback well. Um, <laughs> yeah, you can, <laughs> you can... You can find me on uh, Twitter at PCFCheck. Or you can come over to Instagram and see our post reposts and all the pictures of my cats that I post and food. It's pretty much what's there. Um, at, uh, at Drea Kaufman, and it's C-O-F-F-M-A-N. Definitely want to do that. Um, and yeah, we have a blast on our post, so make sure you check that out over in the Nerd Party. It's a lot of fun. I'm also on the Nerd Party doing aggressive negotiations with John Mills, which is a Star Wars show. And we have a blast just talking about anything that comes into our head, Star Wars-wise, each and every week. So make sure you check us out. Again, we're uh, on thenerdparty.com. Or, of course, we're also on uh, Apple Podcasts and everywhere else you get your you know, podcasts, your podcatchers, whatever it is that you use. Uh, those podcasty things. Yeah, those podcasty things. Um, you can also find me here on the network uh, with the 602 Club and the Star Wars 602 Club collection. Both of those feeds there on Apple Podcasts as well as the Orb that I'm doing with Chris Jones. We're so excited. We're going to be back soon. So make sure you keep a lookout for that as we're very excited to be back talking Deep Space Nine. I'm on Twitter at MattRushing02 and then I'm on Instagram at MRushings. You can follow me in all of those places. And I want to say thank you so much for joining us. And y'all come back now, you hear?